When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting. The A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind a Raw. I'm John Pollock alongside. My companion for the next uh, however long the show is going to be. Wei Ting, how are you? Doing pretty good, John. Yourself? I'm doing great. I'm joined by, uh, I haven't let them speak yet, but I'm surrounded by 50 post-wrestling trainees who have been instructed to react to all of my jokes when I have any throughout this show. So they're all they're all set. They're all six feet apart from one another. Um, we're not going to be hard and fast on that rule. They have been tested. Uh, so we have all the post-wrestling trainees here at the post office to add some ambience to this particular show. You, you've been surrounded by plexiglass, as am I. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, in case in case this whole wrestling thing goes south, we're going to play hockey. Sounds like a great battle. Or lacrosse. I mean, <laughs> we'll get into it. it th- this was maybe the most unique setup for any wrestling show we have seen, just in terms of the um, the setting of which they were surrounded by. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk about it now, or do you want to talk about talk about it later? Uh, let, let's just go into first some of uh, our own stuff. We'll we'll save okay. that for all the the raw stuff. Off the top, uh, we just want to talk a little bit about uh, what is coming up this week on the site. Uh, we do have our Double or Nothing show that went up Saturday, as well as an interview up today with Jonathan Stoden that you can go catch. I also want to thank W H Park who joined us on Saturday night for Double or Nothing as well to chat about uh, the the horrible story involving uh, Hana Kimura from over the weekend. So if you want to check out. Any of that, it is all up at postwrestling.com. But this week, the major change we are adjusting, it's it's a temporary switch, uh, but it's one that we're going to um, make this week for the time being. And that is we are temporarily putting on pause the cafe hangout for Thursday afternoons. It's become very difficult, especially for me doing the show in the middle of the day. But both of us want to keep a interactive show. We really like that element of the show. It's the main reason we do that show. So, Wade, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, what we are planning to do in its place with one of our existing shows? Yeah, that's right. So, you know, one like my favorite thing about the Hangout on Thursdays really is just seeing all the activity in the chat room and hearing from callers. Uh, and, you know, we didn't want to lose that. So instead of doing it on Thursdays, we are going to be making Rewind to Smackdown on Friday evenings live. And so that means... Typically about, I would say, 15 minutes after SmackDown goes off the air at about 10, 15 p.m. Eastern, uh, John and I will be live streaming our recording of SmackDown, and we'll be taking phone calls at the end of it to hear your thoughts or just to discuss anything else in in wrestling, and uh, we'll be opening up a chat room. So it'll be on video, and this will be available for all patrons. And certainly, the time change will will certainly be different for some, some viewers who are typically used to, you know... Uh, being available to us at three o'clock on a Thursday. This is instead going to be 10 p.m. on on a Friday. Um, so unfortunately, some of you might find it a bit more difficult. But then again, some of you might find it easier to actually, uh, you know, join us live for something like that. Especially now, I don't know how many of you guys even have plans on Friday night. So join us. John and I will be live talking about SmackDown. Whether or not you've watched the show, uh, join us and interact with the chat room. This will be available for all patrons. Yeah, this will be our call-in show for now, and 
obviously topics are not limited to SmackDown. Whatever you would like to discuss, it's an open forum on Friday night. So that begins this Friday. Uh, Also coming up later this week, we've got um, yet another crazy idea from the British Wrestling Experience crew. They have put together a playlist of matches that they're going to be watching. Uh, The playlist, you can, there's a link to it in the schedule that is up on the site. And they're going to be going through a ton of matches this coming Thursday on the show. And it is the BWE mixtape. Man, like week after week, these guys are like, they're like a factory of just great podcast ideas. This whole like pandemic is like the best thing that happened to to these guys. Can, can these guys maybe book some of these ideas on, on raw? I mean, this brand to brand invitation, I think has nothing on the big Euro transfer window. They need to be booking the Viking Raiders street profits feud. I think. They can come up with something uh, other than uh, golf. It would be so much more interesting if next week the Street Profits and Viking Raiders had to each catalog like three of their favorite songs that they were all going to listen to together. No, it wouldn't, John. I think in theory that sounds like a great <laughs> idea, but in execution, it, it, it's going to be it would be terrible. Well, I was going to say it might be difficult to get the rights to it, but WWE is not shedding any pennies now because they got the rights to use that that Punisher logo for MVP tonight. So they're clearly, uh, just, uh, I don't know, they're, 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 costumes, especially like, you know, comic inspired costumes seem to have like no real copyright attached to it. Like we see for the logo, like the actual logo itself. Yeah, but I mean, we've seen, you know, like other Marvel or DC inspired costumes in the past haven't we we've seen inspired costumes i i don't imagine this is going to be kind of a deal no, but there's to me there's a difference between like uh ray mysterio coming out in an inspired costume or just wearing the actual like superman s uh, yeah i don't i don't know what the legal grounds are with something like that i would assume you know something like a punisher skull i feel like i've seen often enough that i i don't imagine it to to pose a problem but um I I didn't think that much of it, but yeah, who knows? Like a company as big as WWE perhaps might might have other precautions. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, also coming up this weekend, we'll have a new uh, post pro res with myself and WH Park. We're doing a, a dive into the history of pro wrestling Noah on their 20th anniversary this spring. And we will also be crowning the theme song contest winner on this Sunday show. So you can check out that uh, coming up Sunday. All of the info for this week's shows are up at postwrestling.com. What is the deadline for the contest, by the way? Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern time. Go to forum.postwrestling.com. The thread is there. You can submit your song. Uh, We asked it to be uh, not too much more than 45 seconds. That's kind of the cap. Avoid any copywritten material in your submission. No flutes, no chimes per WH Park. And well, recorders can, are okay. Yes, we'll we'll allow those. If oh. it's okay for Kyrie, it's okay for us. Got it. All right. And if the Kabuki Warriors want to submit a theme, you've got till Thursday at three. For them, I would extend it till five o'clock. All right. Cool. Okay. So there you go. Um, shall we dive into news? Yeah. Let's. Okay. Well, we can start off uh, just to uh, wrap up everything from. Uh, double or nothing over the weekend. They did do a post-show press conference, which I feel I should update everyone because everyone was listening to our post-show at the time. So this is all news to everybody. Uh, We did mention this on the show Saturday, but it is going to be Brian Cage challenging John Moxley at Fighter Fest. 
date and location to be determined, which sounds like they're going to announce that uh, this coming Wednesday. So that looks to be the, the next big title program. Uh, Tony Khan also mentioned during his media scrum that Brian Cage has been signed ever since January. This was when uh, Steve Bryant at the uh, SoCal Uncensored website reported that Cage had signed and was going to AEW, uh, leaving Impact. And if you remember at the time, Melissa Santos came out and said and denied this. Well, Tony Khan confirmed mm, he was signed. There was that was a true report. So uh, Brian Cage has been. He had to have the bicep surgery, and he's been getting paid this whole time since January. So um, a nice gesture by AEW that they very well could have said, well, once you're once you're healed and cleared, then we'll sign you. But they did back in January. So, I mean, some peace of mind for Brian Cage that he was getting paid all this time. Absolutely. Uh, they announced uh, All Out for September 5th. Uh, we're going to have... For Wednesday's Dynamite, Mike Tyson is going to be on the show. They're doing an inner circle pep rally, and we've got the Battle Royal for a future uh, – or the TNT Championship match the following week, uh, whoever will challenge Cody. And beyond that um, – Some injury yeah. updates um, were, were briefly alluded to. I believe he said Britt Baker should be some – you know, a time frame of about like two months. Yeah, six to eight weeks is the timetable there. So she's going to be on Dynamite Wednesday to address her injury. But it looks like they'll probably try and keep her, have some presence on television during this whole time. And I mean, six to eight weeks, it's not great, but could have been way worse if this was, you know, needed like full reconstructive surgery or something. And then you're you're looking uh, the rest of the year she could have been out. So that I would say was good news coming out of, you know, an injury situation. And Phoenix's appears to be, uh, you know, certainly less severe than that, but they just decided to take him out of that match just as a precaution. Yeah, he was limping around, Tony Khan said, and they made the call to take him out of the match. And Matt Jackson, I guess he hasn't gotten it uh, fully diagnosed yet, but um, thinks it's a broken rib. So it's okay. a rib injury. It's insane that he had that injury while doing what he did in that match. Like... The, the, the have you, have you never moonsaulted off a goalpost with a injured ribway? Yeah. It's 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 fine. That is insane. And even like the local motion suplexes, yes, I mean they did do many cutaways, but still the guy did oh. like ten at least. Like oh, that must have been brutal. Yeah, it's almost like he went out of his way to negate this injury. Um, crazy. It was it was nuts. But yeah, um, that was the latest on him. And then also on being the elite today. They had – this is a pretty lengthy episode, and they had a lot of footage of them shooting the stadium stampede, including – like, as impressive as the finish looks with that one-winged angel, the shot they have in being the elite is even more nuts. Mm. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. It's crazy. Um, but the big notes we had uh, – first of all, in the opening scene, the Young Bucks dressed up in the Revival's uh, pitched – uh, outfits <laughs> that the WWE they actually got these outfits designed mm -hmm. just for this bit on being the elite which was I thought pretty hysterical that they went to that length for the joke um, and then in the closing minutes of the of the show we got a cameo from Marty Skrull yeah interesting I didn't catch it yet but I, I did read your recap can you uh, care to explain so they do the, the you know the the show ends with the graphic and then it's the the scene after the graphic where Hangman Page comes into the Young Bucks hotel room and they get into this huddle and I guess the timeline was that this was supposed to be before the stampede uh the stampede the stadium, stadium stampede, stadium. Yeah. so 
they're like huddling and going over stuff. Marty Skrull walks in saying, I'm back, baby. And they're <laughs> deep in thought discussing the, in this huddle and they ignore him. And he, Marty Skrull just leaves and they never notice that he walked in. So just leaving a tease there and obviously doing something with Marty Skrull and how much this extends to AEW with ROH. I mean, that's, I guess, what the the whole tease was designed to conjure up questions about, but a real interesting end to the show and doing something with Marty Skrull. I would, I would almost say that it's, it almost felt like that. It was uh, one side of me is like, that would have been a really cool reveal to have done maybe something bigger, but so much of it is just that reaction it would get. And you're not getting reactions these days. So maybe, this was their their best scenario, and and who's to say what this means for AEW programming versus what happens on Being the Elite? Like so far, we haven't seen the revival teases extend to television. It's just been on Being the Elite, so we have kind of had that line as well between them. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if it was just a case of like Marty being around, and they're like, "Hey, you want to like make a cameo in this thing?" Uh, but certainly, it tells you that um, I would say you know now more than ever the relationship between. I guess uh, the possibility of Ring of Honor and um, AEW potentially working together probably is higher than ever. So um, I guess it bodes well for that. Uh, some WWE news. Uh, Dave Meltzer had reported on Monday that Matt Riddle uh, is expected to be moving to the main roster imminently. And I confirmed this myself as well. Um that it sounds like he's going to be, yeah, it'll be very soon that he's going to be moving to the main roster. He's got the match with Timothy Thatcher this Wednesday with the cage match with Kurt Angle as the referee. I don't know if that's it for Riddle, but given, you know, you can, you can look at the, the past few weeks. I mean, getting the tag titles off him, they're rushing this Timothy Thatcher feud. Um, this Wednesday would be as logical an end for Matt Riddle if that's the destination is getting him off of NXT. But what do you think this does for NXT? And conversely, where would you like to see Matt Riddle? Um, I think given, you know, Matt Riddle's uh, style and background, I, I would feel like he would be a specific call up from Raw and Paul Heyman, uh, who I think would do a tremendous job with him. I'm sure Heyman's just salivating at what he could potentially do with this guy. Um. I see him making that jump. And what does it do to NXT? It's a, it's a big loss to NXT. But at the same time, you have a lot of people in NXT that are waiting to, you know, jump into that spot. I'm most disappointed for Pete Dunne because it, it means that, you know, he's not really going to get any sort of resolution with with his uh, uh, teammate. And, uh, you know, well, he'll have to find something else. Maybe he'll pick up the Timothy Thatcher program. But um, it's uh, I think it's about time, honestly. Like, Riddle... How much more does he really have to achieve at NXT? He's already at a certain level. He's not a guy who really needs that championship run, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, he might be somebody who I think, you know, under Paul Heyman can really, like, I could see him doing really well. Yeah, and uh, reg regarding the, the tapings this week, the original schedule, it was going to be two Raws today, two SmackDowns tomorrow. But I heard late in the afternoon they did... One Raw, one SmackDown today, and they'll do the same tomorrow. So I guess they just wanted to, whatever, they just split them up with um, one show for each brand on Monday and Tuesday, and then they're doing NXT on Wednesday. In Japan, they have lifted the state of emergency in several areas, including Tokyo. And I mean, there's, I, I guess like all eyes are on New Japan of what this means. Uh, if you remember what Harold May had said a couple of weeks ago, when they would start to even consider empty arena matches. Um, 
one of the first things was that the state of emergency would have to be lifted, but also he had several other caveats, like the number of new infections would have to decline. They would have to have arenas that can be properly disinfected. And once those conditions were met, that's when they would start to look at empty arena shows. So at least one of those is kind of lifted right now that they could run, you know, a core Q and hall, or if they feel that's a facility, they can run confidently and feel it's as safe as you can manage at this point. But uh, with the state of emergency lifted, do you think that we are uh, closer to a new Japan? Or do you think that they're going to be pretty reticent when it comes to empty arena shows that it still may be a, a bit of a wait? I think it means we'd be closer. Um, you know, I, I don't know if they know how long they would have to wait before they would have to, um, you know, be able to allow audiences to come in. And at that point, even, you know, what is that going to look like in terms of um, staggering in the crowds? What 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 rules will be put into place in a in a venue such as Corku and Hall? Um, and at that point, like, how long are you going to have to wait before you, you know, fill a bit more content for your roster that's been sitting out now for four months? Plus, yeah, they they did their last show at the end of February, so March, April, May, like we're th- three months that they have not done any shows, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, they did kind of like say a, a lot um in, in those press conferences, and they kind of do have to back up and live up to to those uh, sentiments. But um, I mean, certainly something like this puts them a bit closer. Yeah. And it seems, you know, and certainly here in North America, it seems that most sports leagues are just all systems go behind finding um, ideas and trying to get things. You hear the NHL is talking about like this 24 team playoff scenario that they're proposing. The NBA is looking at going to uh, Disney to just have all of their games take place in in this. And, and having the players live there. Having the players live there as well. So it's um, you're starting to see like a. a like most sports leagues all kind of formulating their plans and just seem to be going with this. It's you hope that like all of this, like as much as there's the talk of like a second wave in the fall, like what that could create for all of this. Cause I can't fathom that there will be this level of restrictions. If there's a second wave that people are going to go through this again, but I have no idea what that would look like. But mm-hmm. I mean, you just hear so much about, um, that potential in in the fall or maybe later that I think most are not even trying to think about that. They have to, but trying to just hope for the best at this point because they're inching towards reopening so much at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. All this stuff is, you know, constantly changing. Um, I mean, I, I just really hope that numbers start to really go down and people, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the Which they're not here. They're not in our province. No, this whole thing has been, you know, uh, trying to strike a balance between uh, what's safe and what what is healthy for the what's healthy for the population and what's healthy for the economy. And I'm sure there's some middle ground that you know you can do your best to try to find to at least make um, uh, most people happy. But um, that's that's going to be uh, it's going to take a lot of experimentation to find, and and that's the stage that I think we're at. Uh, last thing here are just two MMA stories. So the UFC, they're planning for their card this Saturday in Las Vegas, and it seems like they're very confident this will be happening in Las Vegas. And they 
put out this memo over the weekend that MMA Junkie got a hold of, and they're increasing their COVID-19 testing. So the new procedures that they're going to have is that fighters, cornermen, those associated, they're going to be tested twice with those swab tests, which absolutely number one is I would, I'd be retiring at this point. I would be Henry Cejudo. I would be out of here. Um, Those swab tests, I can't tell you. Like that to me has been the greatest, I won't say the biggest deterrent for everything, but that's a pretty high one for me. Well, I, I don't ever want to have to go through one of those. And I feel at some point I'll have to, but man, am I frightened of taking that thing well that's the thing in our province now they're they're starting to recommend that everybody whether or not you're symptomatic should be taking a test and this is i think i do believe in the future really it's the only way that we'll be able to eliminate this whole thing is to like do our best to track everybody um so you know you and i john could walk down to the clinic tomorrow and take it we could do that now we don't have to have like a node or anything like that we would have to record it (laughs) Oh yeah, I'm not doing this for nothing. I'm getting every, I'm getting all my bang for my buck out of that thing. Cause, dude, I might scream though. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not a screamer, but that thing is just, oh, oh man, like your fiance must have had to, like she must have had this several times. I'm guessing four times. Wow. Yeah. Is it like any easier by the fourth time than the first? I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I would assume so. I think she, she's just really described it as um uncomfortable but um yeah i don't I, listen what the alternative is worse isn't it yeah absolutely so um anyway go getting back to this so when when they arrive there they get the swab test and then they have to go self isolate and they've now defined self isolating meaning you go to your hotel room you can't leave the hotel and you're only to have contact with your fight camp until you get the results of that test and if it comes positive if it comes back positive, you have to stay in your hotel room until you get the uh, instructions. Then you get a second swab test right after the weigh-ins. And again, you go back to your hotel room until the results come in. They are not even opening up the Performance Institute for everybody. That is closed. And um, so, mm. you know, what they did, which, I mean, they did a lot for the Jacksonville shows, but you saw the holes. And this is certainly an ability to rectify it and... You hate to ever say that there was any good out of someone testing positive, but with Jacare, I mean, they did learn from that, and they are doing much more, which had that not happened, maybe they would not have. And I'm curious to see if, the, like, the broadcast, do we see anything different this weekend in terms of more masks, of not doing the in-octagon interviews? Is is there anything else that they might adjust from that side of things that also came under some criticism? I'm happy to hear the adjustment. You know, anything I think to, you know, increase the chances of, of safety for everybody is a good thing. And uh, yeah, maybe that is the silver lining to all this stuff is, you know, this, like I said, this is a continued experiment and Jacksonville is the Petri dish, unfortunately. Um, so, or, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. And, you know, um, at the very least, I'm, I'm really happy to see them make adjustments accordingly. When is the Mike Tyson video of him getting the swab test going to appear online? There's no way that oh wasn't filmed. Uh, yeah, I wonder. I wonder. I don't know. You is are you allowed to film that stuff? A bunch of the fighters film their stuff when, uh, like, I saw a bunch of them that that week of the UFC cards. No, I don't know. I to be honest, like, I, I w- if if the person administering it is at all camera shy or anything, 
I wouldn't want that pressure on them. Be like, yeah. oh, let's just focus on sticking this six inch thing up my nose and let's turn the cameras off. Maybe mm-hmm. um, the last thing here is Henry Cejudo. Uh, who, sorry, sorry. Oh, on that note, yeah. though, do you, do you know if they're doing swab testing in AEW? Um, I was under the impression, yeah, they were because in Jacksonville you had to be doing it for AEW or UFC. Uh, for both of them, because they were because in Jacksonville they were um one of the representatives of the city was saying that they, it was uh, going to be mandatory. So I'm pretty sure AEW was doing the swab testing. Gotcha. And, and do you know anything of, of WWE? Because they did Only- say today that they were testing. Yeah, they said on the broadcast that the people in the crowd had been tested. Um, I don't know 100% like what that what that meant. If right. there was actually like at this point you you would hope that they are doing the testing because it just seems it's I don't think they would come out and say that they're tested and it, it, you know if 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 all they did was check temperature. I don't think so either. Yeah. So I would be lent to I I would assume that that means the actual testing and not just temperature checks cuz that at this point in time would sound misleading. Right. Uh and yeah, the last thing here Henry Cejudo, so he had announced his retirement uh, after the Dominic Cruz fight at UFC 249. He has now vacated the bantamweight title, vacated, stripped of the title, whatever definition you want to go with and he just put out a statement just doubling down that he's he's retired, he's out. And so the once double champion ended up not losing either the flyweight or bantamweight title. He ended up vacating each title and he is maintaining that he's done. We will see if this is actually the end of his career or not. But they are moving on in the bantamweight division without Henry Cejudo. So uh, that is the latest that is happening in the world of pro wrestling and mixed martial arts as we Shift over to Raw with our crowd, and let's talk a bit about just the setup here. So we had numerous NXT trainees that were spread out throughout the Performance Center. Uh, We saw the likes of Shotzi Blackheart, Caden Carter, Simone Johnson, The Rock's daughter, um, Aaliyah, Jessamyn Duke, Malcolm Bivens, Zia Lee, Casey Catanzaro. They were all spread out. But none of the major stars. No, so, no. These were no, um, nobody actually, mostly trainees and a few that you would have seen on TV, like Shotzi and Aaliyah, Caden Carter. Yeah, like of that crop, I feel like I would say somebody like Shotzi would, would almost be like the upper tier of like, you know, star power that, that you would you would have. And I certainly feel like doing something like this, I'm sure they were conscious of like not making your actual stars feel like they're just fans. Oh, yeah. Like you couldn't put Adam Cole in there. I think they're very conscious of that. Whereas, um, I mean, in AEW, it's kind of the mid tier to, mm-hmm. to lower tier, I would say like the, kind of your highest ones you put out there are who like Colt Cabana, MJF. So not your bottom tier guys for sure. But, um, beyond like the, you know, the students and such, it's, um, kind of a similar level. Although like, I think we, we've seen an AEW. I don't know if there's too much harm because it allows them to like play their characters. I mean, MJF was in the crowd. Yep. So it really allows them to play their characters as they're watching these matches. But instead I, I would say this NXT, you know, performance center crowd is, was, was there more so to play like a generic audience. So we also had um, Tom Phillips mentioned off the top that they have all been tested. They're practicing social distancing and are six feet apart and, I mean, 
Some were six feet apart, but anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, they certainly weren't side by side. Like no, they were not AEW. close to each other. They weren't like high-fiving and stuff. They yeah. weren't uh, Billy and Austin gun out there. Um, and then they also put up these walls of plexiglass all throughout to block the trainees from the performers. And this, to me, was an extra step on top of um, – I mean, we haven't seen this in any other wrestling settings during this time. I really like all the changes, and yeah, like, this this whole thing is like, you know, a lot of people are going to be like, oh yeah, look, look, they copied AEW again, blah, blah, blah. Like, who gives a shit? They should be congratulated for, for like, you know, um, like, not, not, not worrying about that anymore, and just like, doing what is best for the product. Everybody should learn from each other. Like, AEW, okay, like, they got a Titantron, are you, you know, are they copying somebody because they... They did a Titantron. Like, who cares? We should all be collectively, like, thinking, what is the best solution to this problem that we're all suffering from? And I'm really gl- glad to see WWE finally do something like this, I guess. I don't know if they they had any sort of, like, um, I don't know, um, code or, or some sort of, like, I don't know, doctor's referral before they could do something like this. But I, I like you said, John, I thought they went a step further than AEW by distant, separating people from standing next to each other. Uh, putting the glass around the ring, which I think is actually a cool look and looks way more to me. It it seems like it's a more professional, um, uh, professionally kind of conscious way of like holding a, holding a sport, sporting event. And I think it might even set a template for other sports leagues that may find themselves doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. I thought that this certainly was an improvement over, you know, the the dead atmosphere that we have had for past WWE shows. You did have that sound. It wasn't it didn't sound contrived. It sounded like you were almost watching it it maybe it was just because of the plexiglass that I had it on my mind, but it felt like watching like a small town like a small town hockey game or something where it's not a big crowd there, but they are making some noise and adding a bit to it. So I, I like this adjustment. I thought it was Probably, if you're going to put people in, you have all people Florida-based. It's not like you're getting people to travel far to come here. And, you know, provided they're doing all the requisite testing necessary. And um, I, I thought that this was a, a, a strong idea to, to do this. It was a huge improvement for me for the overall quality of the show. Um, I mean, I would say, like, they probably even had more people there. I mean, I, I can't really, like, give a figure, but... At least like the earlier AEW shows, like in the in Atlanta, I definitely feel like they had more people here than those shows. I don't know if they would have had more than like at Daily's place this past weekend or, or not, but uh, it's comparable. And especially like in a in a in a building smaller that's enclosed, like like performance center, the sound definitely comes across. Now, you know, I, I did bring up earlier about how personality of the crowd. I suppose it might might be another thing. Um, like like I discussed, you have you know within AEW people that are actually playing their own characters uh, within the crowd and every crowd member kind of felt distinct. This was more so just, you know, everybody being a generic audience member. Um, Right before we go into this, uh, I just want to add this note. This came from a Sean Ross Sapp at Fightful that uh, Drew Gulak is working this week's SmackDown taping. And that's something I had heard earlier in the afternoon. So Sean Ross Sapp uh, confirmed that. So that's, Something to note for this week uh, to expect Drew Gulak on SmackDown. Interesting. Okay. So, so we'll find more uh, more about that, I'm sure, later. Uh, also, uh, Memorial Day video again uh, off the top. So happy Memorial Day to all our American friends. 
Yeah, yeah, really nice tribute video here at the beginning of the show. And uh, worth noting here, maybe it's, you know, not news to anyone else, but I would say at this point, it sounds like Jerry Lawler is probably out as Raw announcer and Samoa Joe is in. I, I re- honestly think it's it, it, it it's it's an improvement. Uh, I'm sorry, you know, Jerry Lawler, I really respect, but I don't think he was fit for this role. He's he's admittedly somebody who doesn't keep up to date with what's going on. Um, Samoa Joe... I would say I wouldn't need Samoa Joe. I I would say is is not necessarily good or bad in this role. He's just I would say inoffensive and he fulfills a role. Like he has not stood out to me honestly in this run at all. And I I think in comparison that could be a good thing because certainly you don't get you know your Akira Tazawa uh, instances of embarrassment like that. Um, but it's not like Joe to me like you know is there to really stand out either. Yeah, and do you feel that this will be? Joe's role. Do you think his in-ring days are over? Or is this his main role now? I don't think so. I mean, you know, there's really nothing that seems to indicate that um, that they would go that way. Like, his injury was not that severe, was it? I mean, he was dealing with, like, a concussion. So it's like, you, you never know um, mm. when it comes to those kinds of injuries. I would just say at this point, it's... It would be one thing if Joe was like a Florida guy and it was just it was convenient for him to be doing these. It's like he's in California. So it's like if they're going to that length now and bringing him here, it would tell me like this is probably where they have him slotted. I mean, um, you know, and I think he's I think he's been great in in this role. So I guess that's just the next question is what what is the state of his in ring future? Do they see him just as an announcer, do they see him as someone that can wrestle the occasional match or is this going to be temporary and eventually he'll be because I mean, they are low on names that are out there. If Joe is coming to these tapings, you would, you would think that they would want him in the ring. Perhaps, or it could be like his last commentary run where they're just kind of waiting for the, the right moment to transfer him back. We also had the return of matches interrupted with commercial breaks. So the, the one week, uh, formula was done there were still like short matches though also very few matches we had five matches on the show Mm, okay not not a crazy number for a three-hour show it started with the kevin owens show and later tonight owens will be taking on angel garza and his guest is oscar who comes out chanting for becky oscar was one of the stars of tonight's show she was yeah um these start to me though or the MVP, rather, was to come. We recap Nia Jax attacking Asuka and then Asuka laying her out last week. And then we got the procession of the women involved in the number one contenders match. Charlotte comes out. Natalia comes out. And this, I thought this was hysterical. As soon as Natalia walks out, Owen starts taking down all the set pieces. And she apologizes to the KO Show crew for her temper tantrum last week. Nia Jax comes out. She said she's going to bulldoze Asuka at Backlash and reminds her of what she did to Kyrie Sane. And Asuka nails her with a spinning back fist. All the women fight. And that was the end of our first segment with the number one contenders match to come later on. Just like last week, they're, they're having Asuka continually get the better of Nia physically in each of their altercations. It's always Asuka like striking first or at least like getting the upper hand. And I think it's a continues to be like a refreshing, different tactic for them to push a babyface with a smaller size babyface at that. And I really like it. It shows off Asuka's intensity really well. 
Kayla interviewed Apollo Crews, who called tonight the greatest night of his professional career because he's going to become United States champion. Okay. Yeah. They're just throwing out that greatest term like it's just nothing. At least in this case, I actually, you can buy it. You know? Like, um, it's his first championship. Okay, that makes sense. But, like, greatest wrestling match ever, that's that's a bit much. Um, I mean, do you know what the theme song is for Backlash? Something with the greatest. It is Panic at the Disco, the greatest show. Okay. Right. They just looked up greatest and found a 2018 song that matched what they were going for. Mm-hmm. Andrade, Apollo Crews for the United States title, the greatest night of Apollo's life. Angel Garza was watching backstage, and this led to the most bizarre cutaway interview in recent memory as Kayla Braxton asked Garza what he thought. And as we're watching the match in the background, Garza compared this match to having sex. It's like making love to a beautiful woman. First, you make eye contact, which sends a message. Then there's two bodies coming together, crashing against each other. The tension builds followed by exhausted bliss. And when it's over, it's time to do it all over again. And then we cut back to Andrade and Apollo Cruz in mid, mid, mid bliss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what the hell was this? I, had no, I have no idea. Like this just kept going on and on and on so long that like they had to cut back to the ring for a, a near fall. Because the guy was going on for so long. I don't know if he was supposed to talk that long or what. He sounded creepy as fuck here. Like, it's totally pervert vibes. I don't, And I don't think that's what they're going for. That's totally how this came off at. Like, you didn't even have, like, Kayla Braxton, like, blushing or anything. She was, like, creeped out here. And yeah. then we got the, the double knees from Andrade. Uh, Cruz comes back, stops him with an enziguri, hits the uh, press slam, Standing Moonstall, standing shooting star, and pins Andrade. Eight minutes, 23 seconds, and Apollo Crews is your United States champion. Good match, yeah. Um, to be honest, though, I was really like finding myself distracted by seeing a crowd again on Raw uh, to be able to really like follow every single thing. But I, I mean, I, 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 I these I two just... are uh, they're exhibitionists here with a crowd. <laughs> I guess so. But I, I thought the presentation, like, with, with the audience there, to me, it, like, it was still sinking in for me as I was watching this, and I, I thought it was really great. Charlie interviewed him inside the ring, and she asked him how he felt, and he said, people told me I couldn't do this, but I never gave up after 11 years, of, and it felt so good, and backstage, Andrade is just destroying shit. Yeah, I think Cruz, you know, like in ring, he's always been fantastic. But like on the microphone these past several weeks, at least, you know, maybe it's because he's been given the opportunity and and has actually been given a character and a storyline. But to me, his personality has really come out in recent weeks. And I would say now more than ever, he feels like he's coming across as a complete package. Yeah, I was just waiting for him to tie everything together by holding up the title saying you never forget your first time. Oh, God. Wow. Yeah. Seth is in the ba- Seth was in the back with a Rey Mysterio mask, and he said that he is better than he's ever been because of Mysterio. Seth was in a dark place two weeks ago, and Rey presented himself to be sacrificed and brought up Dominic being at home and not there for his father. He doesn't know if Rey's future will continue uh, here in WWE, and if it is his final act 
it was a courageous one for all of us to move into the future. This prompts Murphy and Austin Theory to walk into the shot. They know what it's like to be underappreciated, and Murphy needed a mentor and a leader like Rollins. Theory thought he had friends, but they abandoned him. Seth found him, and he will make they will make examples of Umberto Carrillo and Alistair Black later tonight. And I've got to say, Austin Theory, remarkable man of forgiveness that has just moved on from this uh, betrayal last week by Andrade and Angel Garza. Must have been quite the the week of reprogramming for this guy. Feels like he's like lived like, you know, a month in, in the span of like six days. Yeah, well, he's just he's just moving on to the next thing. He's like, you know what? I, I could I could spend my time uh, feuding with these guys for the next three months. But why? I'm yeah. moving on. So that's it. That was I, our big breakup. I like the stable of the three a lot. Uh, but man, it's just, I think the, again, uh, you've, you've, you've heard us like talk about it at nauseum. The, the, the cult gimmick is just so generic and dull. Like it's, they're like the dark order, but, with, but without the mass. Yeah. I, I don't feel anything towards this group at the moment. Um, we'll see if that changes. They, they have got some heat with this eye injury angle, yeah. and we'll get into it later. That I think that's been the best stuff Seth has done in this character. Um, and if if Rey Mysterio, in fact, is you know the program ne- next week, what the, they're advertising the Rey Mysterio retirement ceremony next week. Yeah, that's, that is what they have on tap. So uh, we'll see whatever you know Rey's future is. Like he has a deal that's coming due and. Um, it's been explained if he, if he resigns, then this is the program. And if he doesn't, then that's the write-off. So, I mean, they're pushing it hard. So, I mean, for Seth's sake, hopefully Ray's coming back. I I would think so. I don't think they would give him this amount of airtime if, if they don't intend on doing a match, right? Especially invoking Dominic here. It seems like they are fully moving ahead with this, but, uh, it also wouldn't shock me that they're pushing this without knowing that they've got Ray either. So uh, we'll see. Hopefully next Monday we'll have an answer to that. Charlie was with Charlotte and she's just giving her same promo about raising the bar. When Oscar walked in carrying her title and tells her that red is not your color. How is it that like, like Oscar cut a more memorable promo than Charlotte? Uh, Cause she, Came across more, much more charismatic in this in this moment, whereas Charlotte has said this promo about a dozen and a half times. Yeah, I guess with Oscar, you never know what kind of like speech or anything you're gonna get. But Oscar, I, I sorry, but I guess Charlotte at this point, like, yeah, unfortunately, it does come across a little robotic. The Iconics walked out, and Peyton Royce apologized for costing them the titles last week. Billy apologized for getting upset. And doesn't want to have any animosity between them. They grew up together. They signed their contracts together. They won titles at WrestleMania together. And they should be the women's tag team champions. It was interesting that I don't think they even replayed the angle from last week where Billy slapped her. And I mean, it almost felt like, do you want that in the back of people's mind that there's still this friction between them? Or are we just moving on from that? Because they didn't put any kind of emphasis on the slap last week. I sense it more as like a slow burn, like what what they're doing with uh, Bailey and Sasha, where, you know, there's this initial burst of tension and then they cool down. And then somewhere in the background, you'll they'll surprise you again with it. 
Alexa and Nikki Cross came out uh, with the Iconics referring to Alexa as the office's favorite blonde. And this led to uh, Nikki cutting the most passionate promo she's done on WWE television that the Iconics shut her down by saying, you don't get to talk, just look grateful. And Cross tells her about leaving Scotland with nothing. She knew nobody. And then Lexi came along and gave her that respect and Cross has taught her about friendship in return, and there's nothing more iconic than that. And then they get in this big fight with the champions getting laid out with a spin kick to Cross and Alexa going shoulder first into the post before they hit their version of the magic killer onto Nikki Cross and laid them out. This was like the most serious iconic segment that they have done and a pretty passionate promo from Cross. Seems like they're building to a rubber match again between these two. Um, what sport? Uh, Curling? What could they play no. to break this tie? Like a sport involving rubber. Um, I don't know. Anyway. What, what about ping pong? They could play doubles. Rubber? You got Just on the paddle. Okay. You know, I thought it was... <laughs> I thought it was a su- successful, I think, you know, pretty compelling segment to build to another match in this program. Um, yeah, Nikki cut a passionate promo. MVP was backstage and Lon is there staring at him and said, we need to talk. And MVP just says, no, we don't. And he walks away. I, I thought this was really funny. I thought it was awesome. <laughs> like, it Great. was just such a such a simple little segment that you wouldn't <laughs> necessarily think up. And it was like just a great response. I love this. Like, I, I hate when I am told uh, I'd like to talk or something. It's like, no, I have an option here, and I'm taking the, the door outside. He just hit the mute button. Exactly. He hit the mute button. I love this. Babyface MVP. Uh, they put up a graphic here for Shad Gaspard, and we went to the VIP lounge with MVP inside the ring. And he welcomed all the NXT trainees that are here in attendance. Drew comes out. And he goes all Natalia here on poor MVP's set. He's asking where Lashley is. Is he hiding under the ring? Is he going to jump him? And MVP reminded him of a rule. No contract, no contact. Meaning, we need a contract signing. Of course we do. How else is this match going to happen? He says that Lashley will not put the full Nelson on him until backlash. And reminds Drew of the last time the two of them were here on the VIP lounge. And you hit me with the Claymore kick. And Drew responds, you can just say Claymore. It's clearly a kick. Which is something that I am sure wasn't... Because there was a clear uh, adjustment when that went from the Claymore kick to just the Claymore. Like As soon as Vince McMahon started paying attention to this guy, God damn it, everyone knows it's a kick. You think the claymore? You think? Do you think this was intentionally like an exchange that was written in, or or do you feel like? No, I thought I thought this was Drew ad libbing with him. Yeah, and I thought MVP came back really well with it because he he wouldn't back down. He kept calling it a kick. Yes, like he emphasized when he repeated again. He emphasized the word kick in there. So I mean, you know, this segment I thought felt really good and really really real because you had that little bit of back and forth between two people who evidently are I think really good at 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 least or are comfortable with improv. MVP said, when you hit me with the Claymore kick, what I realized laying there was that you were going to win the WWE title, but when you lost that title, I would personally play a role in that outcome. So this has been brewing since uh, 
January during that segment. He said that Lashley has waited 13 years to get another title shot. Drew doesn't need anyone thinking or talking for him, referring to MVP, or kissing his ass. And the only way Lashley is going to take his title is by prying it from his cold, dead hands, which MVP says can be arranged. And then Lashley is out, and MVP gets hit with the Claymore kick, and then Lashley takes him to the floor, uh, MVP to the floor, and Drew is challenging him to fight, but Lashley won't engage. I really like the segment. Great promos from MVP. I, I thought a really logical motivation for him to work with Lashley. Like, he's got a personal grudge against Drew after what happened, I guess, way back then. And he wants to personally see to it that somebody can defeat this guy and take the belt off of him. He said it really good. Drew said it really good. Crowd being there, again, really helped. Segment like this. Uh, I, I really like the package of MVP with, with Lashley. And for the first time, I feel like Drew actually has, like, a pretty, you know, decently hot a little personal now of a feud with a really strong contender. Don't you think it would have been a bit better though, when he used the kissing my ass line, if Lashley had just been there so he could turn around and bend over. It's what was going through my mind the whole time. Yeah. That would have just made this thing next level. Oh, would have had so much heat. Yeah. Charlie is with Natalia and right in the middle of her promo, she gets a phone call and it's TJ. And Natalia explains she apologized for destroying Owen's set, and there's nothing more she can do. She's got to focus on her match. So she goes back to Charlie, who informs her, we're all out of time. And Natalia is annoyed, and then Samoa Joe just calls this unprofessional. I'm really enjoying Samoa Joe with Natalia. I thought this was a pretty great uh, line from Samoa Joe. And Is that the program? Oh, this is this has to be what's building to Joe, Joe versus, Na- versus Natalia. Definitely. I would watch that. I think they would have a great match. Um, so what's the story here? The story is that TJ <laughs> doesn't watch Raw, so he didn't see the apology, and then was reminding Natalia to apologize. Like TJ was so upset last week that Kevin Owens' makeshift set got destroyed by Natalia that he was adamant that she apologized for this and. Not only didn't catch the segment earlier, but then calls her when she's on live television. Well, maybe we know that this wasn't live. And this was a tape show. Was it taped? Was it like tape delayed? I don't know when they taped it. I would imagine like they had to do. Because they're on the same time zone as we are. So they, you know, if they were taping another show after 11 p.m., that'd be really late. I mean, to me, if you had the whole day, like. I would think you would use like the the day to tape that and not do it at at night, but I I don't know for sure. So that explains it. TJ, you know, how would he have known? He couldn't have seen it. Okay, okay. So it was a lie. It was live to tape, and yeah. he didn't know it was happening. That's actually a really good explanation. It doesn't really explain why Charlie would say that they're out of time though. If this is a tape show, yeah. Wouldn't we 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 would just do a do a second take? See, in the history of wrestling backstage interviews, this has never happened. Right, they've never. No one's ever said we're out of time and we can't talk to you at all. I guess it has. We like, gotta go. Yeah, I guess it has happened, but you know, she didn't even like. Well, I guess it's no one's ever picked up a phone call and and talked spoken on the phone the whole way through their interview time. Um, yeah, I mean, what are you supposed to do if you get a if you get a phone call right in the middle of like doing something that is like being taped and and live? I mean, you would just. If you I mean, got a phone call right now during this podcast, 
I mean, I'm sure you would take it, and then I would, you know, just say we were out of time. You know, like go to go to another website to get your raw recap. Okay, I was calling Wade during this time, but he oh, clearly you were. doesn't have his phone with oh. him. <laughs> well, I'm a professional. I have my phone on silent, unfortunately. Oh, okay. I was a, starting to worry funny... that maybe it was like in another room, and I didn't want to wake anyone up because no, no it would have been a funny bit. Then I would have to apologize next week. All right, so. That was the end of this segment. We never found out what Natalia had on her mind. Kevin Owens is making his entrance, and Angel Garza runs down, chop blocks the knee as we go to break. Uh, they plugged for SmackDown this week, the semifinals of the tournament, the IC title tournament, with Elias versus AJ Styles and Jeff Hardy versus Daniel Bryan. Owens is uh, he's going to match Jackson his way through. How could this guy not go through with this match after what Matt Jackson did on Saturday? So the match begins and Garza just goes after the knee until Owens hits a DDT but then as he sets up for the cannonball the knee gives out and it allows Garza to super kick him then Garza is knocked off the top when Owens gets another burst lands the senton but can't do the pop-up powerbomb again the knee goes out and he gets hit with the wing clipper Garza wins in 331 I always like when an injury prevents you from your offense, which so often we see an injury and knees are the worst for them where all of a sudden the guy's got to still hit all of his springboards and stuff. Um, so th- this was short, but it was a uh, good for a while. It lasted. It was high intensity from the jump. And again, like this type of match, the crowd really helped, you know, if this was just a silent beatdown and you didn't have that sort of like panic, um, or at least a reaction of like Kevin Owens in this match was supposed to be like panicking. Oh shit. Like he hit me from the back. I don't have a leg. How do I carry on having a crowd there? Definitely helps. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a match like he had to definitely like pay, put, put attention to the knee. Cause that, that was what was going to protect him and really help build to a rematch here. So it's an easy to digest story that creates a grudge leading into another match between these two. And it's really good to see somebody from Zelina's faction actually getting a win. I was shocked. The streak ended. I guess her faction only consists of these two now. Yeah. I mean, they got rid of... Uh, maybe maybe they got rid of the wrong person. Like, maybe Andrade is the dead weight. Mm, maybe. Then we got an entire video package dedicated to the history of the Street Profits and Viking Raiders doing their knockoff Olympics. Some poor sap had to put this whole thing together. Go through the best moments of basketball and axe throwing. Next up, I kid you not, is golf. So we're on the greens. Eric throws his club towards the hole. The deal is the Viking Raiders are awful at golf. They're uncultured. They don't know how to play. They're just these unconventional um, athletes. The Street Profits are destroying them. Ford does a trick shot, bouncing the ball off the trees and the cart. Vikings end up hitting this other golfer, so they get thrown off the green, and then instead, they go to play mini-golf, and the woman is about to throw them off the mini-golf course, but notes that Ivar is cute, Eric isn't, so that's our running gag, and at the end of mini-golf, the score is 144-28, to the Viking Raiders think they won, and in case the joke was not going to connect with you... Thankfully, the Viking Raiders were there to yell, high score, high score wins. And they explain that in golf, the lower score wins. And therefore, the Street Profits are up 2-1 in the series. And we ended with Ivar pulling out a wallet, a red cup, 
and a turkey leg from one of the holes and then stared down this alligator. Yeah. You know, like earlier, I think uh, segments from from these two, there's a certain novelty and I, I definitely appreciated anything that took place outside of that, like really dead, empty arena. Um, I think two was my limit because I thought this was fucking awful. This was probably just as awful as any of them, but like to to be given this one and and what what made this one a little different was it felt like you know if you remember last week those segments were littered throughout the show spaced out apart this one felt like they had even more stuff but instead they just crammed it all into like they crammed like three hours worth of vignettes into three minutes and as a result it was like hyper edited (laughs) please please give us the uncut three hour version no no that's not what I'm saying instead like I'm I'm saying it felt like something that probably in shorter bursts might have been i don't know a little bit better but instead like cramming everything into this you for you force them to like edit it to, into like almost like an ntv crib style type of thing and it's just like the punchline the jokes were bad to begin with but like they they just they didn't have really any any room to i think even attempt to be to land um i don't know i i mean somebody must you know really get a kick out of these but the the jokes are just terrible I think that's the worst part is that the Viking Raiders are funny in these, like just from the physical, like comedy that they bring to these segments, the, the street profits are the street profits. Like they, they can be the personality is amazing. They're all, yeah, it's off like the chart. it's not to me the personalities, but you're right. The, the jokes and these kinds of segments, I really believe if you sat down, you could come up with some, like some great one liners and make these funny segments. You have to hit like, five beats in one of these to just hit and i think that they don't hit any of them it's just it's comedy that really is not there and that's what kind of leads these to not be any kind of memorable segment that you might go back and you know find some comedy in. it's they're just kind of like it's the sight gag of here are these guys playing golf badly yeah lashley is with mvp Lana is there, and this is after MVP has taken the Claymore, and Lana calls Drew a monster and hands over some ice. She's trying to make nice with them, and MVP says that was a message designed for Lashley, and they need to send a message back to him, and they leave without Lana, and she screams. So the story so far is is Lana trying to, like, I don't know, get back in with Lashley, and MVP is just repeatedly brushing her aside, focused on, I guess the job um it's interesting i'm curious to see where it all ends up because certainly like you know lana is now having to find a way back in i'm sure she'll 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 make a big impact somehow murphy and austin theory versus umberto carrillo and alistair black seth was in the corner holding up ray's mask uh the heels go to the floor and black did his backflip into the seated position Carrillo then goes to the top, high cross onto both men, and then we had, I thought Black and Theory in particular just had a great sequence that Theory just fed for all his kicks. Uh, Joe called one of them what they call a Dutch hug. Black then takes out both of them and sends a Murphy, sends a Murphy elbow into Theory, then Theory missed and nails Murphy, and they did this and it didn't look like contrived or goofy either. Like it was just going at like a million miles per minute here. And I thought Alistair Black 
got to really shine here for the, the time they had. There's plenty of strikes here with Theory. He goes down. Black gets shoved to the floor as Theory got out of the way uh, of a Kareel moonsault. And then as he's dealing with Murphy on the apron, it's... Uh, uh, who was it here? It was Carrillo who gets caught with the ATL, and Austin Theory pins Carrillo. Four minutes, 20 seconds. Really fast pace. Yeah, like this to me was was almost them like thinking about what went awards with them trying like to do three-minute matches all week long and keeping that format for the for the matches that, you know, would, would benefit, I think, from a shorter amount of time. And they just crammed everything they needed to in this one and saved a lot of time for the post-match angle. Black then got tossed into the timekeeper's area, and they threatened to take out Carrillo's eye. They have him set up by the steps, and Black's got a chair in the ring, and they threaten. If Black takes one step, he loses his eye. And Ray was sacrificed for the greater good, and if Black doesn't back off, then that sacrifice was for nothing. And Black drops the chair, and they end up letting Carrillo go, and Black comes to his aid. I thought the scenario was well done. I like the standoff, you know, between the two with, with uh, Rollins threatening to uh, injure Carrillo's eye and, and, and Black basically, you know, having to put down the gun. Um, That's where like, this needs to escalate to. <laughs> but, like, Rollins talking about the sacrifice bullshit just takes me right out of it. Um, it just, <laughs> oh, man, I, it's it's just the gimmick. How, how do you not, like, you're the Messiah. That's your nickname. Oh, my God. How do you not, like, work in some, uh, unless they want to, like, actively avoid, like, religion and stuff. Like, there's an easy promo there with, like, an Aleister Black character. Yeah, I, I see. I kind of want them to like, just get away from all that stuff. They're not. Like, that's the whole focus oh, of it, like, the, that, that they're going towards. Um I think the eye thing, like the eye thing, was clearly like the best thing that they have done. So mm-hmm. you had, um, I thought they were still going to like attack this guy, but I, I mean, the thing with the eye is, you do that angle, you can't bring this guy back anytime soon. And if this is something that ultimately writes out Ray, you can't just do it nonchalant. It's like the punt; you've got to yep. sell the effects of it. Yeah. Then we had Edge in a uh, in a room all by himself. He said that Orton caught him tongue-tied a few weeks ago with the challenge, and now here he is, doubting his ability, if he can hang with Randy Orton. Edge says, I've been retired, or I had been retired, for 3,212 days. And during that time, Randy has had 1,126 matches, according to Cage Match. (laughs) Is that it? How did he count? How, like, imagine this person, this character of Edge, sitting down (laughs) and counting this. Like, why? Well, I would imagine he, I would hope that he would, in storyline, call a WWE statistician, Dana Brooke. He'd call Dana Brooke and and ask (laughs) him. It's like Chris Harrington or someone. Sure, yeah. Um, He thanks Orton for making him contemplate things he had not thought of. And he turns it into the Last Ride series and how he was interviewed for that at the time he was retired. And now he understands what The Undertaker is going through and trying to hang up the boots um, and go off uh, into the sunset. He understands, but says he had hung with the likes of The Undertaker, 
Shawn Michaels, Kurt Angle, Eddie Guerrero, Mysterio, Christian Regal. He even mentions Owen Hart, Davey Boy Smith. He would adapt to any style and pull people up to his level and would teach guys how to get to the next level, considering himself a five-tool workhorse for this company. But he says, everything that I've just said is in the past tense, because I don't know if I can do any one of those things anymore. But at Backlash, I'm going to dig to the depths of my soul to try. Dig into the depths of my soul to try. Yeah. Um, Because it's all an old man can do, is what he says. Is there a larger disconnect than the motivation of this match for the Edge character and the tagline they have put on this thing? Oh, completely. Like, like it doesn't even fit with the story at oh. all. It's this guy questioning if he still has it. And they're promoting, this is the greatest of all time. Two peak performers at the prime of their careers coming together in this dream scenario. You can it's just, abs- it doesn't even make sense. You can absolutely tell that the performers themselves want absolutely nothing to do with whatever this tagline has has been forced onto them. Very notable how Edge omitted it, and everyone else that has to plug this from Flair to Joe to Tom Phillips, everyone else has to use it, and Edge did not in this one. I think that's very notable. The the tagline comes from somebody either with complete, 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 like, just, uh, you know... Just, just, just it, it, uh, who's completely out of touch with, I think, what, what the audience expects out of this match. And, or, or somebody who's just not taking it seriously at all and might be even ribbing these guys for all I know. And Edge and Orton are clearly two people that are taking this incredibly seriously. Edge in particular here. You know, like he, he, he was fantastic, I thought. Lots of, you know, like I, you can definitely tell like he wants to use these TV appearances now during this current run to really flex his new acting chops on TV. And, He's given himself a storyline where he is now playing the role of Mark Calloway for The Last Ride, a veteran who is unsure if he has what it takes to live up to his legacy. And while it is sort of unfortunately dismissive of that Mania match, which he won, um, I can forgive it because it's allowing Edge to like get really deep into this, you know, character he that's full of, I think, you know, complexity that he, that he's trying to create for himself. Um, but of course, the only thing would have been better if he could have assured me that this was not just going to be a good wrestling match, but the greatest wrestling match ever. Will it be like, obviously, Edge is going to do interviews the week of Backlash, and he'll probably do some the next cycle of a match. Is he going to uh, oh, openly criticize this tagline before the Backlash match, or will he do it several months from now? You know, that's a really good question. That's almost something worth uh, taking a bet on. I mean, you would expect somebody like Edge, and especially Orton, to like have have the the leeway to just you know be able to speak their mind. Um. <laughs> See, I feel Randy Orton would double down in an interview and say, "You don't think it will be?" <laughs> <laughs> True, right? Be like Sid that time that yeah. mouth interviewed him. <laughs> he will tell. Sid was talking about coming back at a WrestleMania and mouth just like responded like, yeah, yeah, you're going to come back at WrestleMania. Yeah. He's like, what? You don't think I can't do it? <laughs> yeah. I, I can definitely see some sort of veiled like, oh yeah, it's going to be like, you know, sarcastic comment, but I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. Like, I, I can't wait for the podcast to come out about, about the truth about this whole thing. Why did they put that? pressure on us it was ridiculous like there was a moment tonight when joe has to say it and he just looks over at tom and he's got like the smirk on his face as he says it like just like what a stupid idea 
Anyway, I, I get I'm entertained by it to be honest. Like I, I don't care at all. I I just get an amusement out of them having to push like such that, a grandiose tagline. So listen, that that it would be great. That would be a great reaction if it was like Elias versus R Truth or something like that. This sure. is a match that these two are taking very seriously, and they're presenting a very serious story. Oh, it's and a disservice to them, hundred percent. Like, like it doesn't thing, fit this at all. The tone of it. The first thing you think about when you see that 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 you know um, poster is comedy. That's that's absolutely terrible. Oscar joins commentary for the next match, uh, but then the Prophets and Vikings meet backstage. They tell the Prophets they will let them win in golf, just like basketball. So they have to pick another challenge. And I'm just thinking here, it's like, okay, this is where we set up the backlash match. No, they're going bowling next week. I could not even believe that they are extending this again. Oh, yeah. yeah I didn't, this did not feel like a culmination at all. I think we're going to go at least up to five. Hey, okay. This is the time. Are, are all the trainees ready? All of you guys ready for the big reaction? Next week's bowling segment? Spare me. Oh, God. Yeah. Is that the title? <laughs> the next week's podcast? That's next week's, yeah. We're right. we're booking ahead. MVP walks in and calls them a bunch of clowns, wasting away, sending their talent down the drain, who'd rather play golf than be champions. They don't respect them, and then this sets up a tag match for later. The Prophets versus MVP and Lashley. Yep. Charlotte, Natalia, Nia Jax, number one contenders match for the Raw Women's title. I was, I won't say stunned, surprised that Shayna Baszler's name was not even mentioned, her win was not mentioned from last week, and there was no involvement here. I thought at the very least Shayna would get involved here with Natalia or something, but it was like Shayna Baszler does not exist here. I don't know why that submission match happened last week. It made no sense when this thing yeah. was over. I mean, clearly they want to tell some sort of losing streak story with Natalia and you know this was just another week of them getting getting there but yeah it absolutely completely disregards why Natalia would be in a number one contenders match while Shayna isn't uh, so unfortunately it was just a, a case of just the missing logic I would say uh, went over 15 minutes here and the idea was you know whenever um, one would have the cover or the submission the other w- would get involved it, Natalia applied this armbar onto Jax, and then uh, Jax slammed her way free of that. Uh, Flair hit this moonsault, or at least attempted to hit it, onto Jax, almost overshot her. But Natalia did a, a high cross onto Flair from that, and then Flair attacks Jax's left knee. The figure eight gets broken up by Natalia. She applies the sharpshooter. Jax breaks that, and then Natalia is tossed to the floor. Jax stops Flair on the turnbuckle. We get Natalia returning for a big Tower of Doom spot, but injures her knee in the process here. The figure four is applied onto Natalia. Jax with the leg drop to Flair and sends Flair out of the ring. Samoan drop to pin Natalia. 15 minutes, 13 seconds, and Asuka just went insane during this match cheering for Natalia, and she was, like, the highlight of the commentary. She added a great deal of atmosphere, uh, as did the crowd for something like this. I thought it was, like, a really fast-paced match for the entirety of of the whole thing. I thought it was good. Especially, I thought Natalia was really good here. Her desperation really carried it across to me from the character storyline to to the in-ring action here. So I'm, I'm actually most curious to see where this kind of, like, failure story is supposed to go for her. 
Caleb Braxton was backstage with Drew, who was wearing his talk less, clay more shirt as he was about to talk more and clay less. And he was about to leave the building, but then he's informed of this tag match that's happening and decides he is going to stick around. Yes. Yep. What do you think of the shirt now that you've seen it, like, on Drew? Um, I would say talk less, create more. Rob Gronkowski <laughs> winning the 24-7 title at WrestleMania. The trainees were not ready for that one. Um, <laughs> we get a whole recap of Gronkowski winning the 24-7 title. R-Truth sends in a video where he has discovered that Tom Brady is no longer the 24-7 champion it is, and he is now coming for Robin Gronk. He puts on his shoulder pads, and then we get what I am going to dub as one of the worst promos this year from Rob Gronkowski. As he addressed our truth, or should I say, our lies. And see, that hooked me right in. I was all in after that. That was, oh man. He he's wearing these giant shades. Well, the like Joey Janela glasses. Yeah, and for good reason, because when he took <laughs> these glasses off, this dude was reading word for word and was not even making eye contact with the camera. Thankfully, he put these glasses back on for his end segment, and no word of a lie, his closing remarks are that I've got eyes in the back of my head. Thankfully, he didn't, because if not, he would have had no promo to read. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> Look, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'll ever create this dude Gronk on the same level as I would, uh, you know, somebody who is actually classified as a professional wrestler. Like to me, he is in the realm of celebrity doing you know, he was clearly reading like off like well, his yeah. iPad that he did not put at like eye level with his phone or whatever he was recording this on. But that's but, that's how much can you expect from a professional football player? You know, in the end, this is a major celebrity delivering a pro wrestling promo, which I'm sure they were more like than thirty happy seconds. With. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm sure they were happy with this because this well, is, they aired it, but it yeah. just looked so amateur. I can set the bar pretty low for like, you know, a celebrity having to do a pro wrestling promo. In the end, like they just they hired this guy because they want to get on Sports Center. They want to get like, you know, casual football fans to tune in and be like, look at this weirdo, like, you know, do do a professional wrestling promo. I'm not this gonna make judge it to Sports Center. <laughs> Probably not. But I'm not gonna judge this dude on like how good his promo is. It's just he's a celebrity. Just look into the camera, that's all I ask. Yeah, I guess it, he definitely has uh, room to improve. Or keep the shades on. Keep the shades on. He had the shades on. Why did he take them off? I wouldn't have noticed this if he kept the shades on. That was actually a smart idea if he realized that. Right. Tuesday night on FS1, we've got the FCW documentary airing, followed by Backstage. And I guess it'll be interesting how this does with no Dark Side of the Ring competition. Interesting. Okay. It's a very good documentary if you haven't seen it. I, I For a WWE-produced uh, documentary, I thought this was uh, very good. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think John and I did a review of it on a, a double shot from a few weeks back. So if you see it and you want to hear us talk about it, join the Post Wrestling Cafe. Then we had a Ric Flair video. He says he's had more great matches than anyone. And ever since he gave up being that greatest performer... 
the guy to succeed him as the greatest, is Randy Orton, who he is picking. And this was more like Ric Flair just screaming at you, more so than a great Ric Flair promo. The newly re-signed Ric Flair. Yes, yes, he is He is signed. Uh, I think he gets to keep his name of Ric Flair. Doesn't have to go to developmental as a new name or anything Wait, was like it? that. <laughs> that was never in danger, was it? No, 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 I'm just joking. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, I... I, I, I feel like this is the level of Ric Flair promo now. Like, when was the last time you heard a great Ric Flair promo? I I would guarantee you if he all of a sudden was on, like, a, a Road 2 special, I bet you we would just say, oh, my God, what an incredible Ric Flair promo. I don't doubt that he has great promos in him, even at this age. Uh, but for these, these, like, 30-second things, I think they know what they want, and it's almost like the caricature of Ric Flair rather than the substance of him. Yeah, and, and it's the same with Hogan, you know, whenever yes. he's on these shows, it's just like, you know, kind of your stereotypical, like, Hulk Hogan type of promo. And I can at least understand why you would classify this match as the greatest match ever, if part of your intent is to get legends to come on to talk about, I guess, the great matches that they've had or their Kobashi's going to pick Edge next week. Oh, you think so? Yeah, for sure. Um, So it's a way to promote Ric Flair being on your show, and again, you don't have a live audience that's paying so you don't really disappoint anyone when you just see that it's a cell phone video and you you just you know you get Ric Flair on your show they also got Liv Morgan on the show tonight oh we also got a last, last ride recap by the way yes they went through uh, chapter 3 which uh, we can discuss at the at the end of uh, at the end of the feedback okay Liv Morgan who is slowly replacing Alistair Black in my Monday night uh, entertainment you know, the biggest stumbling block in life has been my own self-worth. I don't ever remember feeling good enough, but wondering at six years of age what this big thing called life had in store for me. I didn't know if I would hit the sun or crash and burn, but then I found the WWE and got my gear with my name on it. I don't have all the answers. Because life keeps changing the questions. But what I do know is that I'm living my best life. Mm-hmm. This woman, uh, I give all the credit in the world because I think that this is an incredibly difficult <laughs> verbiage that she is continually uh, given here. This is like a, uh, a 60-year-old writing what they feel a millennial is going through. That's what these promos feel like. And she's doing sure. she's she's living her best life with these worst promos. I'm definitely confused. Like I know I'm barely a millennial, you and I, John, but I'm so confused by what this new Liv Morgan character is supposed to be. She's she's a millennial who's searching for her identity, but but what is the actual question that we're actually looking for her to answer? You know, in the form of a wrestling match or, or anything. Like she's what am figuring I- it out. She's figuring everything out. Right. Including these promos. But she found the solution. She she found her purpose once she found the WWE and f- found gear with her name on it. Now she's living her best life. So what what's after that? Yeah, I mean, sounds like you got to figure it out. Anyway, I, I unfortunately, I come out of these just as confused as I am with like, you know, Bray Wyatt promos from the past or Aleister Black promos. So I, I my Mondays are now designed to look forward to you basically repeating these. 
I want the ultimate mashup of Alistair Black explaining how he's living his best life. I don't like a duet. I do not have the answers because life keeps changing these questions on me. Notice the man doesn't talk at all anymore. He does not. No. Uh, the Street Profits had an insert promo as they walked out for the main event and Ford telling them to just bring it, to quote Dwayne Johnson. Uh, next week on the show, Rey Mysterio's retirement ceremony and Seth Rollins versus Aleister Black, which could be very good. You think this this like retirement thing is going to generate any sort of buzz or, or difference at all? Um, probably not, but they'll probably, I mean, they'll hype it all week. See, these like... I really feel like wrestling has to be careful with its retirement stipulations uh, because, you know, most people I think would already come into it not really expecting anything. Um, and it definitely like when you do want to build a Rey Mysterio retirement match, it, it, it can have negative consequences. But who knows? Who knows what's going on here with, with the contract and everything? So the main event tag match here, uh, Lashley hit a flatliner onto Ford and then a running spear. And we just got, you know, a long beatdown of Ford until he avoided a suplex and tagged in Dawkins. But then Ford was like right, right back involved. He was knocked off the apron, attacked the ribs. They went through the break. Dawkins got another hot tag and fired up on MVP. And then Lashley gets knocked off the apron. Ford goes after him. They then double team MVP with a spine buster. And from the heavens, when Lashley shoved Dawkins into the post, applied the full Nelson onto Ford and wouldn't let go, causing the disqualification at 11 minutes and 16 seconds, the deadly full Nelson. And that ended the match. Drew McIntyre runs out and fights with Lashley. They brawl to the floor, into the boards. The referees are signaling for help as the trainees start to come out. They get picked off one by one. And then Lashley spears Drew. More trainees come in, and they have to separate Drew and Lashley to end the show. Weak finish for a, a main event, but I mean, fuck, whatever. Wins and losses don't matter on the show anyway. And I'm probably going to forget about this match pretty quickly either way. Um, so, you know, nobody can afford a loss. So it's just whatever. <laughs> this was all about the, the post-match anyway. Yep, that was uh, that was raw. Um, the post match was was Lashley and McIntyre brawling, and then all the trainees. Did you say all that? I went through all of it. Oh, I'm sorry. It was as memorable for you the second time of me right recapping it as it was for you in real time watching it. I apologize. I, I, I that all, all that I, I thought was pretty good. It was know? fine. Yeah, the you know just pulling them apart. I think they're doing fine with with Drew and Lashley. I mean, it's not the biggest match in the world. It's not the greatest match ever, but it's uh, <laughs> really? not the worst either. So, um, you know, there is. If if there was like any like independence running now, boy, do you have an opening to promote like the worst match ever? Oh, for sure. Like if the, like if Janela was running a show, I'm sure there'd be something like that. Um, you know, like I, I for throughout the that entire- could be a, that should be the Peter Avalon Brandon Cutler match on BTE, the greatest match ever. Yeah, the worst match ever. Oh, the worst match ever. Yeah. Um, I thought this was a good good raw. Like it was hard for me to actually even judge judge it based on the content alone because I I think I was still really enamored with the presentation. I really like the way the way that they're doing the 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 crowd. Uh, I love the addition of the boards. To me, it's like you know putting putting at least the the um the visual of there being safety first uh, before you know making sure that you care about atmosphere, which 
I think is important if you're going to try to, you know, basically inch your way to, you know, making this a more and more normal show. As far as pacing goes on this show, I thought it moved really well. I, I, I feel like they, they managed to find, like, an improvement over what they were trying to do last week, where they only presented three-minute matches. This week, you had a combination of shorter matches, but also matches that, you know, still had your commercial breaks whenever they were a bit more important. Um, what did you think of that? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was, um, you know, um, a great show, but there were enough elements on it that I think the show kept moving. It was a, it was a fine show. Like I think with Backlash, you've kind of got your two big programs that you're promoting on the show with, you know, Edge and Orton. I, I really liked Edge's promo a lot and the Drew Lashley stuff. I think, I think MVP is a huge difference maker in the, in that. Huge. Like, Dr- Drew's been very good, but. You take MVP out, I don't think this has a sliver of interest if it's just Lashley or if it was Lana and Lashley oh, in that position. Like, not a hope. Not a hope at all. Like, you need somebody. The, the, the reason why this feud, I think, is working right now is because you have these verbal altercations between somebody at the level of MVP with Drew McIntyre. To me, it's bringing the best personality you can out of Drew McIntyre. And with Lashley, like, it fills a big gap in his game. And that's having somebody like be the brains behind the operation. Like so. if this, if this program extends beyond um, backlash to, I think extreme rules is the next pay-per-view. If they get a second pay-per-view out of it, it's strictly on MVP carrying it through a second pay-per-view that I think without it, this would be a one and done program. And it still may be, but um, yeah, I, I think w- what a, what an addition that they got an MVP this year from like a Royal Rumble cameo to what he has grown into during this year with the company. I think it's a that's a really interesting story to watch. Living up to his name. There you go. Yeah, you know, like the I personally I feel like I really would have ended with the Apollo Cruz match. You know, that to me, starting that the, the show off with it, it didn't feel as important to me when he did win the match. Um and, you know, compared to the finish that we got on this show with a non-finish for that tag match, I much would have preferred the scene of Apollo Crews going off the air celebrating that. The, like, you know, his first U.S. title win with the whole performance center behind him would have put a lot more weight on it and I think would have ended the show a lot better. Yeah, you could have gone off with the celebration. You could have compromised. And if somehow Lashley and Drew still get involved, it could almost be like um, Apollo helping out Drew and establishing those two as like, you know, Apollo's got Drew's back. You could do a tag match with them um, in the future. Um, there's different ways you could have done that. Yeah, the Apollo thing was kind of, you had forgotten about it by hour three. It was mm-hmm. so early in the show. All right, well, let's go to the forum and see if everyone uh, had positive or negative things to say about Raw. The poll gave the show a 5.93. And we start off with Paul from New Jersey. Glad WWE took a cue from AEW by putting some performers in the crowd. Rarely do I care about the United States title, but Apollo did a good job conveying the importance of him reaching this milestone for the last few weeks. I was genuinely intrigued by the match and happy Apollo was victorious. The Iconics cut a terrific promo as usual. My prediction is they aren't splitting up. What happened last week seems to be a way to make them more serious. Splitting them up would be a really bad idea. I agree with that. Um... Asuka is currently doing the best character work of her career. I cannot wait until Liv Morgan passes the 10th grade. What would you do to rehab this Rollins character? It's simply not good. 7 out of 10. 
If you're pushing him in this heel role, okay, and the answer is not like uh, flipping him babyface or anything like that as a heel, um, what would would you? I would just ditch the cult gimmick and have him be like Seth Rollins, the competitor who is incredible in ring and feels like he, you know, should be the champion because he is really good at wrestling. And to have Buddy Murphy, who also fits that mold, to have Austin Theory, who also fits that mold under him. That would work alone. Like, what is the gimmick of the Undisputed Era? Like, do they have, uh, you know, like, are they preachers or are they anything like that? Do they have jobs? No, they're just wrestlers who are really good at wrestling. And they think they're better than everybody. That's what I want Seth Rollins to be. They're like jocks. They're they're wrestling jocks. Okay, that's at least a bit more believable than a guy who, I don't know, like, is trying to, like, talk about messiahs and sermons and, and shit like that. And sacrifices. What? Andrew from Cape Breton. The crowd was a fresh change to have, but I still like how AEW does it with having heels and baby faces on each side. It feels almost forced that they just have all the PC people cheering and booing instead of having friends of the wrestlers out there to cheer or boo because they like them and want them to win. I feel because of this, the best match tonight when it came to the crowd was the main event with the Street Profits, as they probably know a lot of the people in the crowd really well. The show was decent tonight, so that is a positive. I also really enjoyed the three-way women's match and everything was standard fare. The Liv Morgan stuff is still weird, though. Her Britney Spears, I'm not a girl, not yet a woman shtick, reminds me of Mae Valentine in NWA. Mae is this ditzy character who is doing these vlogs where she's trying to present herself as deep and thoughtful. It's great because she's not, and it's made obvious with her storyline with Royce Isaacs and Sal Renaro. With Liv, it feels like the company wants people to think that Liv isn't coming across as ditzy, but is actually deep and thoughtful. Maybe I'm thinking about it too hard. I'm getting bored with being in the house all the time. Six out of ten show. Um... Is she coming across ditzy? Uh, I don't know. That's different for everybody. I I, I don't think so for me. Um, I just don't know if whatever... I agree that whatever I think she's trying to convey isn't really particularly landing. It's either just too clouded in like a a subtext um, or just confusing. Uh, Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Alexander writes, the lack of fans is what's kept me from enjoying WWE as much lately, so tonight's crowd was amazing. When the camera panned into the crowd at the beginning of the show, I didn't see any chairs. Did the crowd have to sit? Yeah, that was the other thing. They all appeared to be standing the entire time. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I hope they were, like, doing this in shifts, but, I mean, some of those faces seemed like they were there the whole three hours. Oh, my God. And the tapings afterwards, too. They were probably doing both. They were probably there for the SmackDown as well. Like, you imagine they're doing this for all of them now. I guess the maybe the idea is like if if you're sitting spaced out, that looks worse. I suppose is the thing. Dude, these are wrestlers that take bumps. Do you know what their backs must have felt like oh by hour God. two? Oh, their knees completely. Oh. Yeah, I thought that too when I was watching this. Like, can we get them a chair? How about a fold- them? folding stool or like a cane or something? Oh. I worked at a job once where it was like you weren't allowed to sit down for your entire shift and it would be like six hours just standing. I was like, this is this is awful. Man, I, go to, I, I can't go – like I, I refuse to like go to concerts or even opening acts anymore because I just don't want to stand for like three hours, you know? Anyway, sorry. This is – these are really old people problems. Old man. <laughs> Is it your my turn? Uh, it's yours, okay. Nick from Lansing. All right, we got a Nick from Lansing who says one of the best raws in recent memory. Memory, and I have no doubt the NXT trainees played a big part in that. Honestly, I just came to say how much I love that they started the show talking about 
they would be practicing social distancing and ending the night with a massive brawl. <laughs> That's true. Absolutely phenomenal stuff. <laughs> yeah, those, the plexiglass can only contain so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Jordan from Kitchener. I share the same feeling as the posters above about the crowd being awesome. Yeah, that seemed to be a big positive on the show, and I agree. Oscar uh, was easily my MVP of the show. I don't see what everyone else does in McIntyre. We're a month into this title reign, and besides the Claymore, is there anything to this character? Apollo Crews is your new United States champion and cut one of the best promos of his WWE run. Iconics and Nikki Cross showed fire and passion in their promos. That was a nice surprise. And Edge is a reminder that WWE has trouble building stars that people see on a level. Edge is a... WWE has trouble building stars that people see on a level. Maybe he means Why? on a... True, as true main eventers. Um, Referring to Edge? Uh, that's what he wrote. Yes. Hmm. I think in comparison to the, the current roster, to me, Edge is a true main eventer. Uh, certainly. Yeah. Maybe that's not what he means by okay. this. I, I don't I'm not quite, sure what he means. Quite no. I think, um, you know, Drew in this role, I think I think he's been very strong as champion. I mean, Unfortunately. Sorry. Yeah. No. I mean, not the. Doesn't have like. Um, a deep list of heels to work with. So they're making the best of what they have. But I think in terms of, you know, your top babyface star, he's, I, I think he's done as well as you could imagine. That's a very tough spot when you're the new babyface that gets the big coronation at mania. That was an untraditional one this year. And then coming out of it, it's, that's always a difficult period for a new babyface champion with their first couple of programs. And I think, I think he's largely stepped up to the plate in a in a big way. Had an excellent match with Seth Rollins at the last pay per view, and as mm-hmm. you know, great talker, good worker. Like I, I don't have any complaints about Drew McIntyre right now. Unfortunately, like without crowds being there, he he received great reactions leading up to that Brock Lesnar match. But like yep. once the crowds were cut off, and to see him with the belt without somebody like a Brock Lesnar. Like him against Lashley, I would really love to know how an actual crowd would respond to him because I think it would be quite favorable. So like without really the crowd essentially kind of like validating and proving that this thing is working, none of us, I suppose, could really confidently say whether or not he's doing a a great job. But I think just like the raw material, he's like so confident and such, such a badass and so comfortable on the microphone and really good in ring. So all these things to put together, I... I definitely think he's doing a really good job. We got an MJ who says, I tuned into Raw for the first time in weeks for two things. One, the use of talent as crowds. Two, the second biggest golf match of Memorial Day weekend. On the latter, who was that for? I play golf. It was not remotely funny or creative. Was it for people who don't play golf? Do seven-year-olds even find that stuff funny? I don't know. It doesn't have to be stupid either. Look at the use of football jokes in the stadium stampede. Can WWE writers not come up with anything creative to make these sports segments remotely cool or at least not the worst type of comedy? Meanwhile, I thought the crowds felt so forced. It just didn't sound like fans in a video game. It looked like it, too. Nobody stood out, which is a benefit AEW has received from using people ringside. AEW has outproduced them in terms of empty venue shows and has been a step, has been a step with the hard cams and talent ringside. P.S. Marty... Yeah, BTE. Okay. Uh, yep. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Thanks for your feedback. Uh, seems a largely uh, positive reaction to Raw on the whole. Um, also, uh, we have the last ride to quickly discuss. Um, 
I don't think this will take up too much time. I was not a big fan of this particular chapter of The Last Ride. I thought that a lot of this was, if you have watched any uh, WrestleMania Rewind episodes that they produced, any of the specials on Triple H, on Shawn Michaels, uh, covering the WrestleMania matches from 2009 to 2012, this felt like as much of a retread as we've seen in this series. And what this was all built around was like the disaster that was the crown jewel match that realistically is given about five, five to seven minutes at the end of the show. And it's a disaster, but it's um, uh, to me that this one fell way short of the first two episodes. Well, I, I actually like a lot of those recap shows. So maybe that's why I, I thought this was a really good episode. I mean, to me, it, it was only logical if you're going to culminate this show talking about the Saudi Arabia show with Triple H and Taker, or uh, sorry, Triple H and uh, Sean teaming up against Taker and Kane, that you use it as an opportunity to get into, as Taker says, the last time he had, you know, really great matches or the, the highlights of his at least WrestleMania streak run. And the, those are the four matches between him and Shawn Michaels and Triple H. And I, I mean, I actually felt like going back and talking about those matches was integral to the story because you understand what Taker has been trying to recapture in this final run. He wants to get the same highs as he experienced with that initial Shawn Michaels match. And I thought Shawn's story was incredibly relevant to his because as he talks about, Shawn is somebody who he's jealous of because Shawn has found the ability to say no. And of course, until the, the the actual the actual Saudi Arabia match, um, but I, which, I, which to me was a big omission. Like you've just made like that's really the whole point of this whole series is the Undertaker this inability so, to walk away. Sean can, but then like there's no concrete reason of why Sean agrees to do this match it's because just, you, because we all know what the reason is. Okay, well I'm just saying like I'm watching this and that's my question that I would come out of this like why why did you do this after after ten they years drove a truckload of money Saudi money to my doorstep and I couldn't say no like they, they weren't gonna say that like he about pretty much said. Ah, it sounded like it was going to be a fun. <laughs> it was going to be fun to hang out with my friends. You, you don't think all the proposals <laughs> this guy's gotten from 2010 through 2018 that none of them uh, incorporated some fun elements in them? <laughs> yeah, that's it. This, no, this was too much to fun. pass up. Moon salting to the floor, no one catches me. There was just too much fun. Yeah. A night off, as hunters called it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, like I listen. I, I I look at this as like you know how compelling would this be for somebody who was was a bit of a layman, similar to me watching something like you know the Last Dance. Um, would a seasoned football fan going back and revisiting you know all those older series would that be boring to them? I don't know, but for me it was captivating because a lot of that stuff I'm I'm learning about for the first time, and so I thought it was actually really important that they got into some of these older matches. I, I didn't mind like the like. What in principle, like they they did do, like it makes the crown jewel disaster much more impactful with the context of what great matches they put together. I guess it's just because we have been through, and yeah, I'm speaking as someone that maybe is more critical than others that are just watching this fresh. That that to me was like, um, it was so much of it. It was the whole episode was dedicated to this. That it just felt much more in line with your regular WWE. Uh, production for most of this in terms of, um, you know, just, you know, shining a light on these WrestleMania matches. I just thought the, 
I, I just didn't take as much away from from this episode as I did the first two. This was a lot less of um, Undertaker himself. Like we got we got some introspective moments here, but a lot of it was just it, it just felt very much you know from one thing to the next, and then we do the rematches. The, the, certainly like in this documentary maybe you do get a sense that they were trying to pad pad this one out so that they could drag it to like five episodes or something that's what this episode yeah. felt like to me but but i i maintain that like all that stuff is relevant though to the undertaker's story here and i thought like it was a really good creative choice to bundle like the legacy of his matches with sean and hunter into the the overall story that that they're trying to tell um what i do find interesting is how like much like in, in the first episode, you know, we, we end off the first episode on a pretty positive note, okay? Like, he had to, he trained really hard, he, he struggled through it, but he got through that match with Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 34, and backstage, it's all high fives, Vince says he's happy with it, and Taker is relieved. But then we start episode two, as Taker looks back at that moment with complete disappointment, and that becomes the issue and the inciting incident that they have to fix in episode two. This episode three was really similar as well because you ended episode two on another positive note with him having that match with John Cena, like coming out of it unscathed and, you know, actually looking good. But episode three starts off with just, I was so disappointed that match was only three minutes and I really need more. And so it's, I guess it just, you know, really shows you that like what what they're trying to say is clear that this guy will never be happy. And that's what Michelle McCool pretty much like comes to the conclusion with at the end. It doesn't matter what happens in ring with him. Like, he's not going to stop. And to me, this was just like, you know, further kind of like proving that point that this guy kind of has like a, like I would, I would almost say a, an addiction or at least a level of OCD when it comes to, you know, wanting to find that perfect moment. He's like the guy at the blackjack table, you know, like one more, one more, especially if, if, you know, he's, 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 he just lost the last one. Oh, I got to win. I got to win. But then you win and you think about staying a bit longer. So I thought that this whole episode was kind of done to like push that. Yeah, I I thought like they really hit that at the end where, you know, Sean says this is like chasing the dragon and that is not healthy. And Michelle reacting to the crown jewel match realizes instantly it's just the vicious cycle about to start all over again because now he has to redeem himself. And we go to the highlights of next the next episode where it's the Goldberg match in Saudi Arabia where this guy uh, is just cursed going to Saudi Arabia. And I, is there a point the, the in the one was OK? Uh, yeah, they did show some highlights of the first one, the casket match. But uh, then we had the follow ups like I feel at the end of this, like the Undertaker, he's. You know, this this universally, you know, revered character in WWE history. I think, though, that by the end of this, there is kind of I think they're almost pushing even the ardent Undertaker fan to somewhat have like this. I don't want to say like negativity towards him, but almost like the look, look at how many wrestlers have left this industry with little to nothing to show for it destroyed their bodies here is a guy that has been one of the most successful ever and an inability to kind of be able to walk away from that at that point i think that it almost paints the undertaker uh, like in this you want to see him stop you want to see him stop but you're also kind of frustrated that you can't with you know as someone with, with a child with a family and why are you doing this at, at this point? 
and there is a certain like Whatever you want to say, like the positive way would be to say, oh, it's his drive. It's his self-confidence. The other way would be to describe it's like it's an ego fill at at a certain point. It's also a financial one, too. But it's I I think like The Undertaker becomes uh, also like this this figure that it is kind of hard to be rooting for this guy at any point by the by this time, by the end of this episode. Certainly, just even watching the matches, like I came out of watching WrestleMania four, like with that mentality, like I was ready to see this guy retire, and you know, I didn't want to see him continue to like attempt to just like you know tarnish his his excellent legacy. But I think you know it's much like you know how how this story plays out in sports, uh, like you know MMA fighters coming back and trying to like you know get that last great match or something like that. Except, I guess, the difference in MMA, you could really get hurt. Like, almost unquestionably, you could really get hurt. Mike Whereas Tyson right now, he's, like, getting offers to fight sure. at 53. Like, just insane. Like, the, the yeah. Chuck Liddell fight uh, a year and a half ago. But I guarantee you a lot of people are going to want to watch. Because I think we all really, like, you know, bond to that, like, Rocky. And I guess in this, in this case, Rocky Balboa story of, like, the guy that you've loved in the past wanting to, like, end his career on a high note. It's a rare, very romantic like story that I think we all want to cheer for him for. So, you know, we don't know what the, what the final conclusion of this documentary is. It could very well be him actually retiring or it could be him like chasing for that one last match. And then, you know, using this entire documentary story to like get people to, to try to tune in because this is the undertaker or specifically Mark Calloway looking for that, the, his greatest match ever or one last great match. I think he's, though, eliminated that ability to have that great moment. Like, for himself, maybe, like, go out on a great match. But in terms of a any kind of, like, like if he were to use episode five to just call it a career, I, I don't think people would even take it all that seriously. I don't think he sure. necessarily yeah. would. Um, even sure. if he means it in the moment, I don't, like, that's your biggest takeaway from this series is you can't, you can't believe this guy. He is, mm-hmm. he is going to replace Terry Funk when it comes to wrestling retirements, I think for this generation. And even if he were to promote something as the last, to me, WrestleMania 33, you gave up any ability to have that big send off that big public goodbye. Uh, that was given, you get one of those. And once it's done, you can come back, but you don't get another one. That's going to feel anywhere important because there will always be that um that skepticism i think naturally yeah you're right yeah i don't think you could do it again unless he says uh i swear or something i promise this is really the guy literally left all his stuff in the ring (laughs) like there was nothing more concrete than that and once you come back from that it's 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 pretty tough at that at that point i think for anyone to really believe um it's done and I mean, that's the other element to this is the further this goes for him, it's just going to be uglier, I mm-hmm. think. Like the uh, – he, he's not going to ever be able to have, you know, the the four-star classic again. I think those days are well beyond him. And see, see, I will say though, like this particular show, the Super Showdown match, like Taker was – it was really not Taker's fault. Like Taker looked actually – decent like in that match it was hunter because of the torn peg and i think in some cases just like you know other things going wrong they don't focus enough on that australia match they went almost 30 minutes him and hunter and it's like that was not a good match it was kind of like i'm out of that one like kind of happy with it yeah which is 
pretty that that's I don't revisionism it, to be honest. It, well, yeah, you I recall not liking it at all. It was a dragging main event. 27 and a half minutes those two Oh my god. You know, um the Torn Peck thing I I I found really interesting cuz I think we had heard about it after but like I hadn't really rewatched the match and I actually did after this in to see the actual moment that Hunter tore his peck and it just you know, uh it it definitely made the match more compelling seeing Triple H attempt to perform with it. You know, it very much was like that Torn Quad match from 2001 it felt like an incredibly gutsy performance i will say this there there is um certainly an uh, an appreciation for sean michael like this guy is completely done mentally like he after that crown jewel match dude he's like just laughing about it backstage this guy is just he has he moved on he was certainly disappointed he's like we missed it by this much which is like you know a pretty big gap um See, I yeah. took that as him almost like just just la- like not not that he wasn't taking it seriously, but just like I don't know. He seemed the least affected in terms of just like yeah, bad match, whatever. Like he didn't right. he didn't view this. Compare it to he did get that great retirement, has this awful match. He is not conflicted in any way about I got to redeem myself or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's just this guy flipped the switch in 2010 and it was done. He did this one night. It sucked didn't drive him back and i think that that is something that is proven to be very very difficult for many people to do but sean has that it's very true like you compare sean post-retirement to like you know somebody like taker in the midst of retirement or even somebody like brett which i think is more so like the complete deep end of like you know really 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 caring about your legacy i suppose um sean just seems yeah pretty detached uh, so there is, they are not running another one of these until June 14th. That's when chapter four will air. And then the Sunday after that is the fifth chapter, which is the last one. So we have a few weeks off before the next episode. It makes sense. Cause I think they want to like tail it after a takeover and also, um, backlash. The next one is backlash. And then the other one is oh, the week two after weeks that. From now. Yeah. Two weeks. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That that would have made sense to air it after takeover and then air it. Well, I guess they put them up Sunday morning, but then they air it on the network right after the pay per view too. But right. anyway, so we have a few weeks off from that, and I guess that's uh, we'll go into the Goldberg match. Um, that's followed. They do the Extreme Rules match the following month, which actually was a very good match with uh, Reigns and Undertaker against Drew McIntyre and Shane McMahon. That I remember being a pretty good match. And what does he do after that? So he's not on the match. Yeah. Yeah. Boneyard. That's a, that's about it. We've got that, that's kind of the chronology at that point. So um Yeah. So we'll Whatever see what happens, happens at the end. At the end of uh season five or episode five. I got three words for you. Oh Go my god. Yourself. That was the best scene of this whole fucking episode for me was the outtake of Kane and Undertaker doing a promo. And go fuck yourself. Dude, <laughs> I thought that was the best scene that they included here. It was I awesome. Love that. I still definitely get a real kick out of like seeing, you know, Undertaker out of character in these re- very like real, just like fun backstage moments of him like playing cards. Um, just to even see like wrestlers be honest and critical about their own work. I, I find still incredibly refreshing. One thing they omitted, and maybe just for time, they didn't go down this path, but... Um, they kind of just tell the story of like the two Sean matches followed by the two Hunter matches and make it seem like it was just one was going to go after the other. 
And I mean, just today, Drew McIntyre did that interview saying at one point he was kind of pegged to face Undertaker in 2010, which ends up being the retirement match with Michaels. But more important is 2011, which is the first Hunter match. They were hoping to do Undertaker Brock Lesnar that year. That was the whole uh, bit with Ariel Hawani to, to try and set up WrestleMania. But Brock could not do WrestleMania. Oh, interesting. Right. So cool. anyway. Uh, that is it, everyone. We're going to wrap things up. Uh, but Tuesday night, we did not mention this earlier. Rewind away. Number 62 is dropping. And Way, what are we chatting about Tuesday night? We are traveling back to 2015. WrestleMania play button. That's right. We're hitting rewind, but we're going to hit the play button on Tuesday night. Yeah, of course. Uh, this is a show that, you know, to some people might not have been that long ago, but I think in wrestling time, a lot has changed since that time. So it's, it's, to me, it's always kind of fun to like go back to some of these more recent ones because for me, at least, John, like this is the first time I'll be watching this one like on video because you and I were there live. So maybe we could share some stories. Of course, this one features Triple H versus Sting, uh, Rusev and a tank taking on John Cena. Uh, the aforementioned uh, Undertaker taking on Bray Wyatt. And, of course, Roman Reigns. Oh, sorry, never mind. Seth Rollins defeating Brock Lesnar. That's the main event. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes, with a live performance with Kid Inc. And Skylar Gray. Totally don't remember that at all. But Yes. Yeah. Um, and the prettiest RKO I think they'll, there will ever be. Perhaps. Um I decided to watch this video in sync with the audio, unlike how we had to experience it in the press box that night. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. We will share that story on Tuesday and many more to come. Uh, this was selected by uh, David Porges, our espresso executive producer, who will also uh, join us to share why he chose this event. And we'll go through the news of WrestleMania weekend 2015 and the trivia gauntlet. So all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe will get that show Tuesday night. So that's as all well, for us. As well as oh. live access to the Friday uh, Rewind of SmackDown. Live. That's right. Friday night. 10, 15 p.m. Eastern time. We will be live with Rewind to SmackDown, including your phone calls. So look forward to that. Go to postwrestling.com. Check out all of the shows. All of the news is there. And that's it. We'll speak with you on Tuesday night.